space. It's big. Really big. So big, in fact, that if you were to lose your car keys in it, it could take upwards of 22 minutes to find them. And that's when the sun explodes. Outer Wilds is already one of the biggest indie games ever, after only three years on the market. What is it that makes the game so unique and impactful? This week, we're diving into the Outer Wilds and discussing why it's such a hit and how it's impacted gaming as a whole. I'm Jason, and this week I'm joined by my two brothers. I'm Jordan. And I'm Jackson. Now, let's get into it. You know, I'm doing things a little bit different this episode. I'm coming in with a hot freaking take. All right, let's hear it. Spent the last couple weeks playing Outer Wilds, and I just got to say, it's a pretty good game. Dang. I didn't think you were going to go for the jugular like that. <laughs> yeah. I'm just saying what we're all thinking, but the media is too afraid to tell us. <laughs> the media has silenced us for too long. I'm here to say it loud and proud. I am a fan of the video game, The Outer Wild. Yeah, it's uh, it's one of those things where the media has been silencing it so hard that on uh, Metacritic, it only has... Uh, oh, I actually searched for Outer Worlds. <laughs> <laughs> so did so many other people. Yeah. We should just go ahead and get the elephant out of the way. <laughs> yeah, that's that's that saying. Yeah, let's just go ahead and get the elephant out of the way. It's been blocking the hallway for a little too long, and it just needs to get out of there. Let's just put the tiger on the table and then take the tiger off the table. <laughs> All right. The footprints have been in the butter for far too long. Anyways, what you're trying to say is... The Outer Wilds and the Outer Worlds. They both released pretty close together, uh, but couldn't have less in common. And I remember being really confused about which game was which when they were announced, or at least when I first heard about them, when they both came out. Uh, and to make things even more confusing, we're talking about the Outer Wilds this week, or in two weeks from now, whatever. We're talking Outer Worlds, but they are in yeah. fact two separate games with nothing in common. Other than space. space. That's basically it. That that might as well just be the only thing. But they both handle space very, very differently. <laughs> For sure. For sure. So I think the best way to kick this off is to just sort of set up what Outer Wilds is. Because I actually was having a conversation with a, a friend today, someone who games even more than I do, I think. And he didn't really even have a concept of what it was other than space mystery, which... Albeit, surface level, that's pretty much it. <laughs> but The Outer Wilds is a game about space exploration where you play as a young alien from a small village where there are a whole lot of astronauts. And it's your first day as an astronaut too. But you have one thing that no one else before you has had. And that is an alien language translator. Which means, in a sense, there have already been plenty of astronauts before you, but you're the first one who actually has the job of going out and learning about the other alien species that used to inhabit this galaxy. And you can explore the entire galaxy in the process. Well, the entire there's solar system. Solar system, not galaxy, sorry. And there's like six planets and then some other odds and ends like some satellites and a comet and some other stuff for you to explore and you're slowly piecing together 
everything that happened with this civilization that used to exist and what they were trying to do when you know you're out there translating stuff and finding shiny new advancements in technology and then all of a sudden the sun explodes and you die and you go back in time to when you first started your journey and you do it all again and 22 minutes later the sun explodes again and <laughs> that that reminds me of one of the the very few things i knew about this game before i played it so in, in the very beginning of the game uh the reason you get the ability to like go back in time 22 minutes is because you come across a statue of this ancient civilization and it basically is just like hey this is gonna happen <laughs> but if you don't go by that statue at the beginning of the game and you die before it like just by like hitting the ground uh that just ends the game right there (laughs) then you just start a new save there are a lot of like kind of funny ways that you can get around the going back in time mechanic of the game because you can do things like create a space paradox and that'll, that'll just end the game instantly it's like you screwed up space the you can't solve the mystery anymore space is broken now (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's definitely one of the most interesting games i've played in general but the fact that it's exploring this you know time loop situation and it's like almost as like a roguelike vibe where you have to start over from scratch every time and the fact that it does those things and it doesn't really have any traditional sense of a quote-unquote progress system made me think like this is one of those games that i am just not smart enough to play (laughs) going into it because i actually played it a while ago but only played a couple hours and it's not that i bounced off it's just like there were other games that came out and i just never really gave it the time it was due but the more i've played it the more i've realized that this isn't a game that you need to be super smart to play. You just got to be curious. This is a game that will make you smarter for playing it, at least within the confines of the game itself. Yeah. Like it's like Disco Elysium in like it's not that I had to be super on top of everything from square one. It's that it taught me how to be on top of everything but just by playing it. The thing I really like about the game, how smart it is about its understanding of gravity (laughs) and like quantum mechanics and stuff like that. But then your character is from a village of like 20 people, but but five of the people of that 20 are out in space. Yeah, they're like, they're like kind of hillbilly-ish, but they're also just incredibly good at navigating the stars. It it has such a weird vibe that I was so into, like, from the get-go. You're exploring the little town in the beginning, like, before you start going out to space. And literally, the only thing you know happens in this town is that people go to space. Because you can explore the whole whole planet, and there are no other towns. (laughs) Every single person has a name, and you can meet them. Yeah, you can have, like, thorough conversations with just about everyone in this game. It's really smart because there is an incredible attention to detail, but they also made the choice of there's just not that many details in all honesty. Like, Like every single planet can be incredibly elaborate because they just opted to have a handful of planets with a ton of stuff on them versus there being 
you know, like a ton of square space to explore. And I think everything this game does on in terms of scale is like perfect. And that I think I think that's the hardest part of any game that has this level of exploration. Yeah, I like how it has the space exploration and flying from planet to planet and all that. But everything, all your movement in the game is to scale. Right. So the way that they got around it taking like, you know, months or years to get from planet to planet is all the planets are only like a kilometer away from each other. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's only like a couple of minutes to walk around like the entire circumference of a planet. And the planets are only a few kilometers apart from each other. And, like, I just think they did such a good job of making it to where, like, 22 minutes doesn't always feel like enough. But it's still a reasonable amount of time to explore, you know, like, pretty thoroughly one planet or, you know, a couple spots on two planets. Like, it's still, it's small enough that that amount of time still feels good unless you're, like, in the middle of reading something and then you die. (laughs) But you can set it to where when you're reading it pauses time. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that was a big help. I feel like every time that I've actually like like if it wasn't a time where I just died to me doing something stupid, like uh not thrusting up and just forward and then slamming into a mountain at the start of a run. Anytime that I've actually like finished out a run to the sun exploding, I feel like every single time there's been like something new to discover. I don't think there's sure. been a single time where I haven't discovered anything at all and i think the game does a good job of giving you just enough tools to get you started but also making the important and interesting stuff obvious enough that even if you're not following those tools you're still bound to find something interesting yeah like most of the architecture you know the planets are so small that houses or a tower or whatever stand like sticks out like a sore thumb so you know where to start even if you're not you know, going off of what the actual clues are. But the game does give you like a a radar that can pick up frequencies from your friends and then you can like, you know, use it to start picking out like uh, distress signals and stuff from, you know, quantum stuff that's like messing with time and space. Rocks. So like, yeah, there are ways you can like, that it'll just tell you explicitly like, hey, this is a cool thing. But most of the time for me, it was just, I was flying around in my ship. I was trying to get somewhere specific. I noticed a really freaking weird looking structure coming out of a planet. And I was like, well, I got to go there now. And I went there. And every single time it was something incredibly relevant to figuring out the, like, the whole plot of the game. Every single time. I think that the game's really good about spreading the mystery out between all of the planets. But it doesn't yeah. really feel like there's any particular beginning to it. Right. Like, you don't have right. to follow it from one planet to another. You can just go to the places that look interesting to you and explore, and you're bound to find something. Yeah. Now, sometimes when you're exploring, you'll see something that gives some extra context or maybe like advice on how to do something on another planet, but you're pretty free to just explore however you want. I feel like a lot of people probably went to the... Uh planet that's like right outside of the starting planet the hourglass twins but uh first one i went to because i could not control my ship at all when it started and i got completely turned around saw the big water boy went to it immediately i started by going to the moon but i i felt like the game kind of implies that there's something going on on brittle hollow first the the planet with the black hole in the middle yeah the first time i started the game uh probably a year ago I started off by just going to visit all my friends. Like, 
you're given the signals for some other aliens of your species and you're told what planets they're on. So like I went to those first, but this time starting the game, I was just flying around sort of haphazardly um, found the giant black hole and thought like, well, I gotta, I gotta figure out what's going on with that first and foremost. So I flew to that planet and ran around some ruins first off. And I ended up spending like my first four or five loops just on that planet before I went to like anything else. See, the difference between how you and I played it is when I first saw the black hole, uh, I immediately went inside of it. <laughs> Which, if you do that, leads you out of a white hole on the other side of the uh, solar system that has a space station outside of it. This game yeah, rewards this, being stupid. That is actually a really, that's a, that's a really concise way of putting it. And I was wondering, like, how to, how to say this uh, succinctly. Like, this game... Instead of punishing you for missing jumps, for falling into a black hole, for just going somewhere that feels like you shouldn't be there, instead of punishing you like a normal game would, this game rewards you sometimes in ways you would never anticipate. Like, I don't know that there's any other way you could find a particular space station than falling in that black hole. Like, and I never would have done that intentionally because I would have assumed that ends the run or I actually die or yeah. something like that. Yeah. Like, I, I played for a while the first time before I, I ended up falling in by accident, which I imagine is how everyone falls in the first time. But I had just assumed that as soon as I go into the black hole, I'm going to get spaghettified <laughs> and immediately yeah. die. So, yeah. you know, I was avoiding it like the plague. And if I, if I fell, I was doing everything possible to save myself, which I think kind of made me better at the flying part <laughs> of playing the game. Mm like messing around with the jetpack of just sometimes you get caught in something's gravitational pull and you have to just try whatever tricks you can think of to get out of it. Now, I think that if I had to like criticize anything about this game, the actual movement mechanics would probably be just about the only thing because even though I think it's forgiving when you miss jumps and stuff like that, it does feel like sometimes you'll get pulled into something else's gravitational pull or you'll get just too far away from a planet and then you're just sent like flying in a totally wrong direction. And like at first it's just kind of funny, but I've definitely had some runs where like I was getting into some cool stuff and then I just screwed up a jump and I was just ruined. Like I just fell and died immediately or something. Like there's parts where it gets into like zero gravity or the gravity shifts to where you're walking on walls and stuff. And I've definitely had a couple runs that were kind of ruined where I finally found the way to get something cool and then I screwed up and couldn't get back to where I was because I ran out of oxygen or the, ran out of time or whatever. I have a little bit of an issue with the, the crystals that let you walk on walls because there's an underground city that you get to pretty early in the game or you can get to pretty early. And it has some crystals where you have to walk. Uh, you have to walk on the ceiling above the the black hole for like quite mm -hmm. a ways to get to another area. And it's not always exactly clear where <laughs> the edge of the gravity effect is for yeah, walking on the ceilings. Yeah. So sometimes I would just fall, and I would have no idea like what I did wrong. <laughs> right, because sometimes it would feel like you're really close to one and you would just fall, and the other times it would like make you walk between two of them that felt way too far apart, but you would just be fine when you finally did. The one movement thing that really bothered me were the, the gravity cannons, 
because sometimes they don't line up perfectly like they intentionally don't sometimes um yeah. and when you don't know that's gonna happen and then you get sucked into a black hole it does get pretty annoying but I still think, like, regardless, it's, you know, mechanical errors don't really sink this game by any stretch, just because this is not a game, like, this is not a game that I worry too much about, like, the skill of what I'm actually doing. Like, I got better at, like, landing my ship and stuff, but generally speaking, this game, this isn't a game where getting better is your concern, it's just figuring out more. And the mechanics only very rarely get in the way of that. <laughs> and I feel like the game's really good about giving you just enough information to where I, I never felt like I needed to look something up to get further. Yeah, for sure. Or at the very least, like, even if I felt like if I was at a dead end, there were eight other things I could be doing at any given time that would pull me away from it. Doing one of those other things will give you more context or information for the one you're already trying. <laughs> right. So. For sure. Especially, especially in ways you would never expect, which I was always impressed by. Like, like the, for example, there is a area where you find the skull of this giant alien fish, and it's like there's like an observatory type overlook, but you can't actually get down to it. But you just think like, I mean, it's just like a cool skull on display. Like me getting in that side that cave isn't that big a deal. But the game has all these things that are just like you should try and get inside that cave. And then when you finally do, it has actually really important information for something else that you wouldn't think would be related at all. So, like, it always is a good job of you can follow one lead all the way through to the end, but in the process of doing that, you're going to learn a bunch of other stuff that's going to help you with a bunch of other leads along the way as well. I try not to get too sidetracked whenever I'm chasing a lead, but anytime I do, like, I still find important information that most of the time helps with the current lead that I'm chasing. It's pretty much expertly crafted. Yeah, for sure. Speaking of the leads, just a, a general explanation of how they work. So your computer or your ship has a computer on board that keeps track of everything important you could find. And I think that it has a really, really smart way of discerning or helping you discern what is actually important from what you read. Because there is a lot to read in this game, honestly. Like, especially the first time you find a new, like, civilization-type area, like a place where people actually lived. I mean, you literally find writing on the walls all over the place. And you're reading through paragraphs and paragraphs of stuff. And it's always interesting in the moment, but it's hard to remember that much stuff. And the computer, which I, I think I ignored a bit too much in the beginning, was why I, like, didn't love the game right away the first time. Mm -hmm. But, like, the computer will take, you know, you could read, like, three or four paragraphs, and the computer will take, like, will write, like, one sentence that summarizes all of it in a, you know, more succinct way, and it will put it on a location on your map that corresponds with a certain planet, and then on a lead board, which, you know, shows you what other things are close to it and how they're relevant. And it has like a really, really cool way of tracking things that's both, that both makes it more enticing to follow a lead because it will just tell you plainly like, you were here, you found this, there's more to find. Um, and I think that that's sort of an essential part of a game that's this just massive in scale yeah. because there's a lot of ground to cover here and you don't always know if you've covered it all or not. 
honestly, and I'm going to go, I'm going to take us way back for a moment. I think this game is what I would have wanted Deathloop to have been. <laughs> yeah. With how the yeah, leads work. Yeah. Because they, it's a really similar system between the two games. But in Deathloop, it's basically, it's objectives. Like, it tells you you need to go here and do this. But this game, it doesn't tell you necessarily what you need to do. It'll sometimes tell you a place you need to go. But that's only if you've already been there. You have to yeah, have stumbled right. on it already. The most you ever get is just, there's more to explore here. All the leads in this are basically just giving you some information, and then you have to figure out what to do with that. Exactly. Right. Where Deathloop, I think one of its big undoings was the fact that the lead would be like, sometimes X person is in this place, and Y person is also in this place. And if you just left it at that, that would be fine. But instead, it's like, now do A, B, C, D, E, F, G to get them there at the same time so yeah. you can hit them both. At the, like, like it just gives you more information than it should. I honestly feel like if I would have played Outer Wilds before I played Deathloop, I would not have liked Deathloop much. I mean, I, mean, I think I complained about it then, the not liking the way that the, the leads worked in Deathloop. We're kind of really losing the point here. But I, I think Deathloop <laughs> was really carried by its gameplay more so than its story or anything yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah. But anyways, Outer Wilds. Yeah, I only brought up Deathloop because I think it's it's a game that does something similar, but in a way that I didn't like as much. Now, we've already sort of talked about some, some pretty wild stuff, like underground cities and black holes and all that jazz. But, like, was there one particular moment, like a one standout thing that you were just totally floored by? Because for me... The first time I found a location called the Hanging City, which is literally a city suspended above a black hole and this forge that they have there with like all sorts of sciencey stuff. Like the first time I saw that, I was just like, whoa, <laughs> like there is more here than I could ever possibly like piece together. <laughs> I feel like every single loop I run through this game, I find something like that. <laughs> like the first big thing like that that I found was the the black hole because like I'd this was the first time I'd been to Brittle Hollow, so I wasn't expecting there to just be a, you know, black hole dissenter. So I walked down some steps, and oh, there's no floor. There's just a black hole. And, like, yeah. I could have made it back up, but I just decided, nah, I'm just going to fall through it. And then I ended up on the outside of a white hole on the other side of the solar system, which also was cool to me because, like, White holes at least aren't a discovered thing. They are purely theoretical, but they still, like, in this game, they still treat a white hole how it theoretically works. Like, nothing can go in it. Things can just exit it. And I thought seeing something like that was, like, also really cool. And then there's a space station just floating outside of that. And it's constantly, like, things like that constantly blowing me away throughout this entire game. The standout moment for me, or at least... Like, I think it was the moment that I just thought was kind of like the most weird <laughs> is uh, there's a part where you get to ride a giant jellyfish. And I just really liked riding the jellyfish. I thought it was like a fun kind of unique thing that at least nothing I found directly told you like any good reason to do it. But it's something where like when you do it, it makes a lot of sense, like why it works and, and what happens and all that. It's definitely not like the most beautiful moment or anything like that because you just see the jellyfish for the most part. But it, it's definitely like weird and unique and the kind of thing that I've never really seen in a game before. <laughs> I think this game does a really, really good job of balancing 
things that just serve the mystery and trying to like fix the time situation, but also having some stuff mixed in there that's just there because it looks cool. It's an interesting actual like with the white hole, like it's an attempt to actually dictate some kind of concept with outer space or there, there's just a lot of stuff in here that's just there because it's cool, but it's always there in like an authentic way. It's never like fan service or sh- And it's not in your face about it at any time. Yeah. I really like the, the black hole, the white hole thing, because it kind of gives you a hint of how something works in the future without like straight up telling you. Yeah, yeah. Where it's like, oh, if you pay attention, all black hole and white holes work this way. And they're used in a lot of places that you might not expect at first. There's a lot of situations where there is a major concept, like the teleportation, for example, where you can figure out pretty early on that it's in the game, but figuring out how to do it is tough. But eventually you can come across like a a very small scale replication of how it works on the game, like for the entire game as a whole. And then you can start to sort of expand out like, well, if that works here, then this on a larger scale should also work. And yeah, it has a lot of really, really cool ways of teaching you the game's systems without just a, lo- a wall of text saying, hey, do this. Yeah. And a lot of times there are three different ways that you can find out how something works in the game. One is that there, there's no my text all over the place that you can translate. No my are the, the people that were there way back in time. <laughs> the ancient civilization that you're trying to f- learn more about. But they, they left writing on the walls all over the place, and you can read all of that, and it'll explain a lot of the concepts. But then a lot of the time, there'll just be like a drawing of how something works on the walls. <laughs> yeah. And then the third way is just by doing it. I yep. mean, like, you accidentally stumble upon something. You happen to be in the right place at the right time, and you get teleported across the solar system. <laughs> it's like it all well, works. <laughs> yeah, and then suddenly you know what a specific shape means, and <laughs> exactly because yeah. like this game, this game doesn't tell you anything. Like it doesn't even tell you, or not like mechanically speaking, it doesn't tell you anything. Like it doesn't even tell you how like aliens write text and stuff. Like, I didn't even figure out that there was a lot more I could be reading just by moving a certain object to another place until, like, a couple of hours in. And then, like, I had to backtrack through, like, everything I had done already to make sure I hadn't missed anything like that. Like, but in a way that's always cool. The little disc that you can find sometimes that'll, there'll be, like, a pedestal that you can put it in that's, like, recessed into the ground, and that'll show you, like, a different area that most likely you haven't been to and you can kind of look around, but you're stuck within like that recessed area. And then sometimes there are pedestals where you can put it next to a wall and it'll have writing that kind of like explains uh, how the area you're at now and how the area that's on that, the the stone tablet, (laughs) how they relate or like an interesting story between the two. I always thought those were really interesting. Although I I never really felt like there was any particular reason to put it in the recessed part in the ground it never really felt like there was too much to learn by doing that maybe one exception yeah well i think the big thing is like whenever you'd use those projection pools is like it would have like a like a sigil on the stone that represents like where it's from actually i think it i think it like pops up like 
when you're hovering over it like blah 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 projection stone so like really what it's telling you is it's telling you like on this planet there is this thing which i think can like give you some new leads even if they're not necessarily like written down in lead books or the lead text the same information that you find from putting it into the projection pool or whatever is generally on the wall as well though that's true i mean that's it's just kind of getting nitpicky at this point I, I just it's one thing that i never really found like a good use for, or that i don't feel like they used it to its max potential it's something that sticks out because everything else does feel like it's used to its maximum potential i i guess yeah for sure for sure so I, like there's a lot of stuff that i think this is the first game i've ever seen really attempt before or at the very least succeed in before so are there things about this game that you hope future games will try and you know like take inspiration from or try to replicate in some way. I mean, I think it shows that like an open world doesn't need to be huge yeah. and expansive in the way that a lot of open worlds are. Like I don't need to explore all of the desert. You can just give me the part of the desert that the interesting stuff is in and then let me go to other places that are interesting. Like yeah. I, I think what this game really has in spades is variety because every planet is completely different from every other planet in a way that's like simultaneously very alien and weird, but is also kind of recognizable as something that we have on earth. Right. Like there's a desert planet, essentially it, it's kind of weird <laughs> because there are other, there are other factors at play on that one. And like, they always take is... something that we know and, spin it around to do something cool. Exactly. And I, I think there's a lot you can do with that. And it makes the whole world really interesting to explore because no two areas look the same. But if I'm playing, if I'm playing the, one of the Assassin's Creed games, I feel like their open world is huge and expansive. It's just but not it's much. just as empty as yeah. the Outer Wilds, outer space portion is. Like there is all this cool desert to explore, but there's nothing there. Or it, it, what is there are just like fetch questy stuff. I think like this game had a very important lesson that I think Elden Ring also sort of delivered, but Elden Ring was just, you know, immensely successful, like sold millions and millions and millions of copies where we don't need guidance all the time. Yeah. Like just let us, let us learn stuff. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I have the same problem with Elden Ring. <laughs> of, I think their world, it's really interesting. I do feel like it's a little too big sometimes and the dungeons got a little samey i think what outer wilds really does well is it kind of it keeps all of the important stuff to these key interesting areas while providing like this huge map that you can explore like there is a lot of space in the game that you can fly through none of it matters but it's there they're also not forcing you to go to those places either like like i don't know why you would just go out and sit you know, in a random spot in space 30 kilometers from the sun, but you could do it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a world that feels really big, I think is the, the primary thing that I'm trying to get across here. Like, there is a really big map, but it knows to keep the interesting stuff kind of close together. <laughs> yeah. Like, you're not solving a mystery across all of space. You're solving a mystery on these planets. And when you're traveling through space, you're traveling way 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 faster than you are when you're on the planets for sure i, I just think all open worlds should be like that 
and it doesn't need to rely on something like fast travel. I think flying through space is really fun. And it's a shame because a lot of games kind of cut that out. Yeah, like, even if there's not necessarily, like, a ton of, you know, exciting space combat or you have to maneuver around a whole bunch of wild obstacles or anything, like, it's still just so cool that you can just get in the plant, get get in a ship and fly to a different planet in real time. Like, that is such a cool concept. I really, really hope that with um, Starfield coming next year that it's going to have something comparable because, like, I think that's the one thing that way too many space games are missing is just being able to get in a ship, fly somewhere, and land it, and it's not just a string of cutscenes or whatever. Yeah, like Mass Effect. For everything I love about Mass Effect, I would like to just fly the Normandy around in space. Like, that would be really cool. Yeah, I understand, like... You know, big AAA games, they're not able to, like, have every single planet and destination, like, preloaded and able to get to. But it's still, like, it still sucks that there are so many, like, big adventurous sci-fi games out there that you just can't actually go explore in space. I mean, I think that this is the episode where we talk about other video games. But um, (laughs) I, I think No Man's Sky does it really well. Because most of the stuff that's on a world doesn't actually... It's not actually there until you're inside of the atmosphere. Like, you don't need to have it to where the whole galaxy is loaded all the time. You can have a big game like that. And then traveling between solar systems in games takes... Traveling between solar systems just in sci-fi in general takes a long time. So you need to have, like, a jump to warp speed. And that makes sense to have be a loading screen because (laughs) that's essentially what it would be in any sci-fi thing. When they're traveling through uh, hyperspace in Star Wars, nothing happens for the most part. They're just doing it. They're just going. <laughs> yeah, they're done. They always show it from the front. They're like, okay, the stars get really long. And then you fly into them and it disappears. And the next thing you know, they're coming out of hyperspace somewhere else. Like That can be a loading screen in a game and it's fine. But traveling between planets and stuff like that, that's what people... At least that's what I really want from any game that's taking place in space. Outer Wilds delivers. And that's it one does. of the only things I would say that No Man's Sky, even at launch, like had down Pat. It is a bummer that I think the game is just like just too mechanically complex that I would like to, to stop me from recommending it to just anyone. Because I think Outer Wilds has a lot of really cool stuff that even like non-video game fans would really appreciate. But I think it's just like a little bit too difficult functionally to recommend it to someone that's not at least like moderately comfortable with like first person video games. I don't know that's something that's really fixable per se. Like I think if it wasn't, I think if you didn't traverse the world like you do, it would take away so much. But mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a bummer that it's just not quite there that I would say this is like one of the games I'd recommend to anyone. I mean, you can rely on the autopilot for a lot of the travel part. I I would say landing is just something you need to get used to. Because you have that landing camera that automatically puts your ship like at the right angle and all that. And then you just need to make sure you're landing slowly. Yeah, I don't feel like that's too much to ask. I I feel like it's pretty approachable. I mean, like, obviously, (laughs) someone that's never played a game before would have trouble with it. Well... I think all this to say that Outer Wilds is a very good game and you should go play it pretty much like no questions asked. Uh, I have a hard time seeing this as one that like any 
any true capital G gamer should be missing out on. <laughs> but I think that means it's time to pull the plug. Jackson, what's something else you've been into? Past few days, I've been dog-sitting. Um, and in that time, I've been watching the Transformers movies. All of them? No, because they're not all available on free streaming. <laughs> Some of them you uh, got to rent on like Amazon Prime. But so far in this order, I have watched Transformers Age of Extinction, Transformers The Last Night, and now I'm about like three-fourths of the way through the first Transformers movie. And let me tell you, these movies are pretty bad. <laughs> I think most people knew that when they came out. But when the first Transformers movie came out, I was three. And I can't even remember seeing it in theaters. But you did. <laughs> I did. I don't remember now, it, why though. we took a three-year-old to see that movie in theaters. I don't know, but I know that we did. I I was in like middle school, and I went to see it with some friends, and I remember being like, "This is awesome! Like this is the future of movies." And then two rolled around, and it's like, "Yeah, it's good stuff." And then three rolled around, and I was like, "Okay, that's that is more than enough Transformers." <laughs> That is that is plenty. Did you stop watching them after three? I think we kind of had the opposite uh, thing because I watched the first two and I was like, these are terrible. And I saw the third one and I freaking loved that movie. I honestly like, I don't think it's like great or anything. I think a lot of three is good because it's bad, but it's like, it's a lot better than the rest of the Transformers movies. And I think it's because they were like, what if we just like stopped caring about the plot and just had a bunch of, Big Transformer battles. Transformers 3 is the only one I saw that I, I like, honestly, I would watch it again right now. I enjoyed it. I've seen it recently. It's not just, like, nostalgia. Yeah, like, I, I've seen it in, like, the last, like, two years. Like, it holds up. I mean, it's still, like, a Transformers movie. It's yeah, not like, they're not, like, peak cinema or anything like you're, that. You're not going to watch this the same day you watch 2001 and be like, well, I watched one good movie today. It's interesting watching these movies for the first time again uh, with, like, you know... The brain of a not child because a lot of these movies i have not seen since they released like i i'm sure i've seen transformers one sometime since it released not sure when did you see the mountain dew machine i haven't got to that part yet i started with transformers four because it was free and then five and then i rent it transformers one but i haven't finished it yet there's a mountain dew machine in the movie that turns into a robot uh the thing about these movies though uh None of them are, like, really good, except maybe the third one. But some of them are... When I say good, I mean in context to the other Transformers movies, not in context to other movies. <laughs> yeah, we're talking about a movie series so bad that even when you're talking in the context of Transformers movies, you say they're all bad. Um, Transformers 1, except for the, uh, the credits, <laughs> does not hold up at all. It is, like... It is painful re-watching this movie, like... But I mean, the credits do hold up. The, the credits do hold up. Uh, it, when we, it goes, what I've done, I yeah. felt that. When Optimus Prime gives his speech to the stars and then Linkin Park just starts playing, now that's peak cinema. The rest of this movie, though, pretty bad. <laughs> like, it is really hard to watch this movie at some points. I don't, I don't know how there was a second one. I don't know how this movie made money. And I especially don't know how the second one made money. Well, I mean, Shia LaBeouf was an up-and-comer back then. That's true. We thought good things were going to come from Shia LaBeouf. Hey, they things definitely came from Shia LaBeouf. <laughs> people expected a lot out of him. I think even after that movie, 
people were still just like, well, he was in a bad movie, but he's still going to he's going to be great. And then he was in, you know, Indiana Jones right around the same time. That was also really bad. I picture a world where like Transformers 1 was just like 20% better than it was. And then uh, from there on out, instead of like the big culture shift to liking superheroes, there's just like everybody loves Transformers. <laughs> I mean, everyone's been clamoring, or at least they say they are. I, I don't know how many people actually really want one that bad, but... Like a Marvel DC crossover movie? No, I'm good. No thanks. I would love to see a, a Transformers G.I. Joe crossover. Now that movie. I would love to see. Yeah. Um, but flash forward a few years. Uh, and by a few, I mean like, I think it was like 10. I don't remember when most of these movies came out. Um, they hated Shia LaBeouf so much they got Mark Wahlberg. And he was an even worse protagonist. And all the human stuff got 10 times more boring and worse to watch. But... At least it wasn't cringy 2007 stuff anymore, I guess. It was cringy 2014 stuff. You know, I hate to say it. I don't think Mark Wahlberg is the reason that he's a bad protagonist. No, it's the writing writing of the movie. I think Shia LaBeouf is partially responsible for his character being terrible. Like, I don't don't think he acted that character very well. No, and then there is just the abysmal scripts. (laughs) And then whoever wrote his parents in that movie, they thought they were the funniest person in the office and none of those scenes are funny the parents are honestly the worst part about rewatching the first movie it is unbearable the worst part about rewatching all of these though is realizing just how poorly written optimus prime is because <laughs> what got me to watch these again was thinking about the fact that in transformers 3 optimus um uh has the autobots stage all their deaths in a rocket crash which then causes <laughs> the city of chicago to get invaded so basically, he let a like tons of people die to prove a point. Yeah, that's something Optimus it's Prime incredible. would do, and that's coming he's, from the best of these movies. Like, hey, hey, the government doesn't like us Transformers being here. He thinks we invite bigger threats, and then he's like, you know, it'll really show him if a bigger threat comes and we know it's coming, and we just leave. If we <laughs> Have let fun U.S. government, yeah, if we just let tons of innocent civilians die. To prove that we're pretty cool. There's the fight scene where he's fighting all of the, like a whole bunch of Decepticons in the forest. I don't remember which movie that's in. Two. And he lets them kill him or whatever. Or he yeah. gets killed. <laughs> that was weird. Also, um, also in Transformers 3, Optimus Prime um, kills an unarmed, very obviously defeated uh, uh, enemy. Megatron helps him like defeat that enemy before Optimus like, takes the final shot, and then Optimus Prime decides that that's a good time to rip Megatron's head out. I hear what you're saying. I hear what you're saying. That was that was awesome. It was awesome, but, like, that's so not Optimus Prime. <laughs> I think that, I mean, the problem is that they're Michael Bay movies, right? Yeah. The only thing he cares about in any given part of the movie is that it's awesome. And you know what? A lot of them were pretty awesome. <laughs> there is no substance to the movies at all. I don't think no, I've seen none. any, I don't think I've seen any uh, Michael Bay movies. Not even Pearl Harbor has any substance. You'd think that if you're going to make a historical movie like that, maybe you'd put some reverence in, but no. <laughs> no. We make cool robot fights, and that's it. But it was awesome. But anyways, that's a lot of Transformers, and I hope we never talk about Transformers again on this podcast, unless it's a actually good game if they ever decide to do that again. So Jason, what you been doing? Well, I also decided to check in on some things that I knew were awful. 
But I just wanted to verify for myself again. I've already verified previously. <laughs> this week I decided to download Avengers again and just give it a shot. Uh, Marvel's Avengers, the video game from 2020. 2020. So long ago. It's not very good. It's still just as buggy as it was back then, which you'd think like if anything was going to get fixed, you know, I wouldn't have the game completely crash on me just doing a mission. But no, that's that was too much to hope for. I tried playing it a little bit. I, I think I finished the Kate Bishop DLC and I got to the beginning of the Hawkeye DLC. I played a little bit of Spider-Man. It's weird how much of Spider-Man's moveset in that game is clearly just stolen from uh, the Insomniac game. Like stuff like point launching that hasn't been in any game before. <laughs> They're just like, yeah, we'll put that in because it was in the Insomniac game. All I know is the 2014 Amazing Spider-Man 2 mobile game had 10 times better swinging than Avengers does. Yeah, the swinging's weird. You, you just can't get like any momentum with it. It just feels strange. Like it's not responding to what you're telling it to do at all. I think once you're actually in the swing, you lose control until the end. Or maybe you can end the swing early, but you can't like, you can't turn around a corner or anything like that. It just feels bad. I will say the combat... And, and this is something I said, you know, even when I was originally playing Avengers the first time. I think the combat works for Captain America, and I, I also think it works for Spider-Man. Just because, like, those characters already are kind of based around just punching guys and dodging and weaving out of combat. But when you're playing as someone like Thor, the Hulk, or Iron Man, it just feels wrong. It's also weird to have Kate Bishop be in the game and, like, make a really big deal about adding her. And then almost all of her movement is based around teleporting, which I don't know that she does, and using a sword. I think she does use a sword. I don't know about the teleporting, though. It's just weird because you'd think with, you know, making... There's two Hawkeye characters in the game. I don't think either of them have a big emphasis on using their bow. Yeah. You look at something... I know this is like a 2D or, you know, it, it, it's a fighting game. I would kind of expect something similar to how green arrow works in the injustice games where like the bow is worked into their normal punching combat <laughs> at least a little bit but no you only use the bow when you're using a ranged attack and that's only every once in a while because they do no damage they even like do that in like the avengers movies like hawkeye will just use his bow as a melee weapon yeah you'd think a combat for a hawkeye would be like hitting them with the bow a couple of times and then shooting them with an arrow from really close up. But nothing like that, at least from what I've played. I, I didn't get to play much as the Clint Barton Hawkeye. I really only played as Kate Bishop. So maybe he's a little different, but Iron Man barely uses his repulsors, so yeah. I have to assume. <laughs> That's enough complaining about bad games. Uh, Jordan, what have you been up to this week? Well, I have been playing a good game. <laughs> You're welcome, America. <laughs> uh, so I still think like at this point, I have a hard time picturing my game of the year changing. But like, I also thought like my indie game of the year was pretty well cemented with Tunic because I think it's an exceptional game. But last week, Metal Hellsinger, a game that wasn't really on my radar at all, dropped and it was added to xbox live and, and all that jazz or uh, game pass not xbox live and uh i just gotta say that game is real cool if you're unfamiliar 
take Doom and metal music. Oh, so Doom. Yeah, but specifically, you have to fire your guns on the beat of the music, or you get like damage reductions, and you can you get like better and faster and more powerful as you get combos going where you stay on the beat longer. And I've played other games that have done similar things before, and like there have been some where it's worked, but like this game sticks the landing on all fronts. The gunplay is excellent. There is a, a good bit of variety in terms of like the enemies and the maps you're on, so like everything actually feels different. I don't love metal, but like I think as the soundtrack to this game, the music is really, really good. I just think it does a lot of stuff really well, and it's willing to just be a fun game without having to like... It's not trying to be super artsy. Like, I think a lot of music-based games have tried to be... Like, I played Soundfall earlier this year, and it's a similar concept, except it's a twin-stick shooter instead of a first-person shooter. And, like, it was cool, but also, like, I feel like the game was trying too hard to, like be something where this game is just like you're a demon you're fighting other demons use you know a shotgun that you have to fire on the beat (laughs) like it's just it just lets you get into cool fights with cool enemies using cool guns and i also think that it does a really smart thing where you have six weapons two of them are like your starter weapon basically a pistol functioning thing and a sword and those are just you hit on every beat But then you have a shotgun where you have to hit on every other beat. And you have uh, dual revolvers that you can fire every beat or like, you know, one off and on as you want. And, you know, those are all like pretty standard, like just play on the beat, let it do its thing. There's like reload cues. So you can like if you press reload, if you start reloading on one beat and you wait a beat, then you can reload faster by hitting it again. And like there's stuff like that, which is cool. But then, like, halfway through the game, you get some pretty wild weapons. Like, uh, there is a crossbow that fires explosives. And it can, and the way it fires is you can fire on beats one and two, and then you have to reload on three. And there is a set of, like, throwing knife-type scythe things. I don't really know what they are. And... You can fire them on beats one and two, and then they come back to you on beats three and four. So, like, there's just a lot of really interesting ways it plays with the rhythms. And, like, all this stuff can be done differently, or you can hold longer and all that. But also, the game wants you to be firing pretty much as much as possible. So, like, you get into a really concise rhythm. And I think the music is good enough to really carry that. But also, the music builds. Like, you get multipliers by getting kills or just just by landing lots of hits on the beat in a row. And, you know, at first, if you're at, like, no multiplier or, like, times two or whatever, then you're just getting, like, some drums and some bass. But as you're getting higher and higher, the music's building. You're getting those higher voices coming in. And then, like, once you get to time 16, which is the highest it can go, that's when, like, the full vocals cuts in and you have, like, the whole song playing. And I think that's a really cool way to, like, really keep the energy up. Because if you get hit or you just go a long time without hitting someone else, then that beat, that that uh, multiplier goes down and the music starts to, like, fade away as well. 
So like if you're staying right on top of it, you're hitting people constantly, you're not taking damage, then like the music reflects that in a very cool way. I mean, like, it's not going to be for everybody because, you know, it's music that not a ton of people are going to necessarily love. It's it's pretty edgy. Like, I think it it does a good job of being kind of a tongue-in-cheek look at, you know, things like Doom. But it's still, it's still like, demons, you know, using all these crazy weapons and you're fighting over control of the hells and all that. Like, it's still not going to be for everybody by any stretch. But it was one I wasn't really super excited about, but I've just been blown away with. My only real gripe from my perspective is just the fact that it's a pretty short game. I've already done just about everything there is to do in it. Because there's only eight levels and then like three challenge maps per level. And they're all really fun. There's just not a lot of them. I've, I've already done just about everything there is to do in the game. And it's only been out a couple of days and I've been playing more of Outer Wilds than it during that time. So it is what it is, but I think it's a game that has a lot of potential for the future. And like they've already said that on PC, you'll be able to play with like your own music and stuff in the future. So like I can only, I can only imagine how crazy that's going to get. Can't wait to play it with like folk music. Can't wait to yeah. play AJR Hellsinger. <laughs> <laughs> the most metal band. So there you have it. Uh, they played and watched bad stuff, and I played a good stuff. <laughs> Weezer Hellsinger, but just porks and bean, pork and beans. <laughs> yeah, pork and porks beans Hellsinger. Bean. Just, just the <laughs> intro to Undone. Just the talking parts. Yeah, that's it. Hey, are you gonna come to the party later? Yeah. Wait, not Undone, <laughs> Unwell Hellsinger. <laughs> Just the one song. Every level is just the one song. I think it would be pretty crazy to keep up with the uh, the banjo. Even if you're not musically inclined, I promise you'll be able to play this game well. It's more more difficult as a shooter than it is as a rhythm game. But that just about does it for another episode of the Totally Biased Media Podcast. If you would like to reach out to us, we have a couple of different ways you can do that. First, on Twitter, at TBMcast. Second, on Instagram at Totally Biased Media, on Twitch at twitch.tv slash Totally Biased Media, where we try and stream at least every other week. We're trying to up that. So if you have suggestions for what we stream or when we stream or how we stream or why we stream, please send those to us on any of our socials or to our email, totallybiasedmedia at gmail.com. Um, we'd love for you to email us your reviews of recent release games or any of your thoughts on the show. We would be happy to share them on the show and engage with them however we reasonably can. But for the Totally Biased Media Podcast, I'm Jordan Walkup. I'm Jason Simmons. And I'm Jackson Walkup. And you just felt the bias. Thank you, everybody. Goodbye. Goodbye.